Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. I am your host, as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. With me today, as always, you, if, you lo- if you're lost, you can look, and you will find him, Tim after Tim Maurice. Oh, um, you know, once upon a time, I was falling in love, and now I'm only falling apart. I'm a Frankenstein's monster, and my limbs are falling off because uh, I was all sewn together. And the stitching pulled. Can you ha- can, can you help me with that? Took a turn at the end there. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear listeners, dear listeners, have we got an episode for you? Do we ever? It's an episode eighty years in the making. Eighty years and one sense and of... one minute in the dementia having. <laughs> <laughs> in the magical realism dementia pen. In the magic magical realism pension plan is that what you said pension plan dementia pen dementia pen <laughs> ah. oh my gosh this is the weirdest movie but before we get to that what's our news tim oh what's gosh. the news what's the hot goss well not much has happened we covered a lot of the front of the news happening in our last episode on turtles all the way down but uh Recently, there was a Super Bowl, and of course, people release a lot of trailers for Super Bowl stuff. Uh-huh. Most pertinent to Ash uh-huh. was uh, one oh, a single uh, a Uno a, oh, a Una. I, I know you're kidding. Anakin, a Una you're miracle. My, oh, you're breaking my heart, Anakin. A a a, a one solo. It was solo. Oh really yeah, that's solo. the word I was looking solo, for. Solo, a Star Wars story, <laughs> a solo adventure with Han Solo, played by my boyfriend Alden Ehrenreich. It's a it's a Alden Ehrenreich. It's a solo adventure. It's a one off. It's a solo adventure with Woody Harrelson, and now I'm sad that we're not going to get more Woody in our Star Wars after this. No, I'm sad that it's a one-off because I love Woody Harrelson and I'm glad he's in Star Wars, but I'm going to need you to quit doing that. Okay. Uh, sorry, everyone. Tim's been feeding the porgs here <laughs> in the home recording studio. <laughs> uh, Solo. The trailer for Solo happened. Um, it's a weird experience for me because I have no faith in this project. Neither I, do I, I. I have not this whole time. Yet somehow, seeing Alden Ehrenreich in the Millennial Falcon, Fal- I cannot Mel- say. It, just stick with it. Go the with it. The Millennial Falcon. The Millennial Falcon. The Millennial Falcon. The Millennial Falcon. The Millennium Malcolm McDowell <laughs> <laughs> has legitimately made me a little bit excited. But more than Alden, my boyfriend, I'm really excited to see Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Yeah, he he looks so cool. He he does look cool. And what a what a pipe dream for a nerd, right? I just want Donald Glover to walk into my 50th high school reunion and slap my mother in the face. He's so cool. I want him to walk out of my dreams and into my car and then be my angel divine. And then come to my high school reunion while you guys are doing that. Yeah. Cuz you get it, we were doing song lyrics. Were we? We were. Oh yeah. Once. So, yeah. I, I here's my thing though. Do the Inception Womps have to be in every trailer? They passed that law. Now they do. Like, I, I really am legitimately sad this is shaping up to be more of an action movie than, like, an action comedy. You want the Phil Miller and Chris Lord touch. I kind of do. That was left. Is is solo YA just because Alden Ehrenreich is a short muffin cinnamon bread man? Uh, no. Solo is YA because Star Wars is basically YA. I think... There was a strong case for that made during uh, Turtles. Yeah. 
Yeah, because in Turtles, we didn't cover this very much in our episode, but in Turtles All the Way Down, her one friend who I hated... And it's I'm and and becoming. It's not, it's not because I'm becoming. Oh, because I yelled at you. Yeah. No, because you're you're knee deep in Star Wars fan fiction these I days. I am so knee. Deep. I have not read any fan fiction to be fair, but I am knee deep in in absorbing all the Star Wars for purposes that will become clear in the future. But anyway, uh, her friend in the book writes fan fiction, and she writes an unflattering character based on Aza, which is the other reason I hated Daisy. I think I came off in that episode as, like, uh, hating her because she brought in the class element. But no, it was more about her writing this this character that was, like, a parody of Aza. And then when Aza was like, hey, that hurt me, she was like, well, you never read my fanfic. Well, it sounds like you didn't want her to read your fanfic if you were paradising her in it. You dumb jerk. So anyway, Star Wars is YA, and here's why. You're not going to like it, but I'm going to make the George Lucas said so argument. Okay. Because I watched, heaven help me, (laughs) an interview he did at Star Wars Celebration on YouTube. And when he talked about it, he was like, well, I just wanted to make a film for 12 and 13 year olds. Because this is the kind of movie I liked when I was 12 and 13. It makes too much sense. Yeah. That's so much sense. I mean, I only like, I only saw Star Wars as a kid because my teenage uncles would watch it like every other day. Yeah. Wow. I feel like my whole world is upside down. It's the funny thing that we keep running into is YA is everything now. Yeah, pretty much. We're all teenagers and we just want someone to love us. Speaking of which. Speaking of which. Speaking of teenagers who just want someone to love them. Our movie today. Our movie today is let's say it together on three one two three the notebook crash bandicoot the motion picture oh you watched bandicoot without me (laughs) you wait wait, you talked me into watching the notebook and then you went and watched bandicoot (laughs) crash bandicoot (laughs) you stuck up scruffy looking nerve herder (laughs) (laughs) nah it's the notebook it's it is the notebook man i wish it was crash bandicoot though (laughs) the motion picture that's not a real movie you know you know what? Maybe it should be. Let's write that movie. I'm going to quit working on Star Wars. Do you know what Crash Bandicoot is? He's a guy from a video game. He's a bandicoot. He's like, he's like weirdly he's, proportioned. He's got all these coots wrapped up in a little band. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a weirdly proportioned like fox guy. It's weird because his body is basically out. a triangle. And then it's just a triangle with a snout on it that waddles around and drives cars and shit. Aw, crashing him into some old coots. Speaking of old coots, uh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're very going to be very unsensitive about dementia in this episode, even though it is a serious problem and uh, it's, we're, we're sorry. Do you think, do you think people in dementia love the representation of dementia <laughs> from the notebook? <laughs> <laughs> I think they are the luckiest of people in that they don't have the capacity to care. <laughs> I want there to be a, like uh, a personal anecdote story about how someone got their mom or aunt or whatever to watch the notebook. And while she was watching it, she almost remembered something in her dementia, but it turns out like she remembers some anecdote that's not useful at all. Like she starts remembering the lyrics to a jingle for like starbursts. Yeah. (laughs) She just starts, she just starts humming yesterday. How could I forget it? And then she starts like, she starts like berries and cream. Berries and cream. Just like that's all this. Who likes berries and cream? I think that's kind of how dementia is. I think there's like a, like a memory salad, 
element to it, but I think it's different for everyone too. But yeah, this movie, spoiler alert. Uh, kind of. If you haven't seen the Notebook, like, what have you been doing? We I, haven't. <laughs> haven't alive. I hadn't seen it all the way through. I'd seen clips. I'd never seen. Hiding her hair. No, I mean I'd seen pieces of it. Pieces. Pieces. I uh yeah. So this movie kind of seems to think that like stories can cure dementia if only briefly. But it's love, Dory. Oh, love cures dementia. And also that you can die by wishes. <laughs> you can be killed by a wish. <laughs> and if that was the case, who of us would be left? Let's be honest. It's assisted suicide and the method was uh If every time a monogamy. teenager was like, oh no, Jeremy found out I like him. I wish I was dead. They just drop. But she has to find someone else who likes her enough that they can hold hands and wake up in the morning and be dead and, and together. wake up like that couple in Titanic that lays down to drown together. Okay, well, this is getting real sad. What's the plot of Notebook? Okay, so here's the plot of The Notebook. And let me just say before I get started on this. Oh no. I heard like so much about how awesome this movie was because I was a woman in America when it came out. And by woman, I mean 14 years old. You were yet a woman then. I was, I was, but in, but in my first bloom of womanhood. How lovely to and, be a uh, woman. Yes. And, and smile, a woman, smile and, you know, <laughs> change your socks on the bed, which is what happens in Bye Bye Birdie. Anyway. You should make that your old person impression from now on. What, what this one? Yes, my my yes. first blush of womanhood. <laughs> I, I get a little British when I age. <laughs> Anyway, Timothy, this is a story of young love <laughs> that flourished in the mid-20th century. It's also a story of that guy from Entourage getting killed in a way that does not impact the plot or characters. Um, okay, so I heard so much about this growing up. I kind of expected the plot to be, like, clever and interesting. But it's... I also found out about the twist before I ever saw it, and I'm going to inflict that same misfortune upon you today. It's simple. It is. So Allie and Noah are sexy teens in late 1930s America, and they meet in the summer at a carnival, and he wins her over by jumping into her lap on a Ferris wheel ride. Then when the carny stops the ride, hanging from the Ferris wheel by his hands and threatening to jump down to, to let himself fall and die if she doesn't agree to go out with him. Because, you know, what wins a woman over? Like sexual harassment and threats of suicide. <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, he threatens suicide and she agrees to go out with him, but then to get back at him for threatening suicide, she pulls down his pants while he's busy hanging onto the ride so he doesn't fall. But not his underpants. Not his underpants. Cruelly enough. For us. What she really should have done is pull down the underpants too and say, what is that? It's like a penis, but smaller. <laughs> no, that would be... 1940s, a woman would never do that. No, but also... Anyway. So they have this weird encounter. He kind of stalks her a little bit, comes up to her on the street and says, how can I get you to go out with me? And she's like, you can't. Give up. Please don't talk to me anymore. And... He gets his. But does she though? And then his buddy gets. And then his buddy. Oh, sure. Her her mouth says no, but her eyes say yes. And her body language and all of her. And her body language is like, oh, I'm so flattered by your attention, because that's a hundred percent how that works. Anyway, so 
he gets his his weird little friend, who is the guy from Entourage, to set them up on a blind date together, and the rest is history. They spend a summer of love making out and having fun, and at the end of it, when it's almost time for her to go to college, uh, he finds out that her parents hate him because he is a noble, poor person who lets black people hang out at his parties, and they are mean, rich people who only have black people around as servants. And oh, yeah. Yeah, they really try to set up this, like, rich-poor dichotomy and kind of use black people as props to set that up, and it's not great. Among other things. Among other things. Like how he has one black friend in the whole movie, and of course that friend has no lines. So, anyway. Uh, his Her parents are richy riches. They don't like him because he's a poor. And how can Falcon if not posh? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just a deep cut that I've had stuck in my head for days. Um, and so he breaks up with her and they have a big, uh, bitchy baby fight and immediately he regrets it. She leaves town without getting to talk to him. Cause E from entourage is like, you gotta let him go, Allie, it's over. And then he, anyway, so they are tragically parted. He writes her a letter a day for a year. She didn't get any of them. And they all go unanswered. Because her mom's a jerk. Her mom hides the letters. And they go unanswered. And so for like the next 10 years, they don't see each other. He sees her once. She gets engaged. He sees her once in the city from a bus. Jumps off the bus to go talk to her while the bus is moving. Sees that she's engaged to James Marsden. (laughs) To James mother effing Marsden. And then goes promptly goes crazy. Decides to flip a house, flip a house, building it to her dream home specifications in some kind of magical thinking hope that she'll return to him by the time it's finished. He grows a crazy beard, chases away one of his potential buyers with a shotgun. And so, of course, when she hears that he finished the house, she is immediately drawn to him by the loins. But will she choose her fiance or the love of her life from when she was 17? And they spend in his house having sex and then she dumps the fiance yeah that happens and then it turns out this is all a dream <laughs> no it's all wrapped in the 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 framing device of oh, uh yeah. a, oh, you kind of need this part oh i forgot about this the is all being device. relayed to a woman with dementia by a nice elderly man reading from a book and she's engaged in the story and she's like i wonder what's gonna happen and then you find out, oh, it's her, and she has dementia, and she doesn't remember. And then in the end, she does remember because he tells her for like five minutes. Yeah. So he's yeah. So the f- whole framing device, he this old man is reading the story of Ali and Noah to an old woman who clearly has dementia and can't remember stuff. And halfway through the movie, you find out the old man is her husband. The rest of the way through the movie, when he's finished telling the story of Ali and Noah, she goes, oh. <gasps> Noah, I remember you. It was us. It was our story. I love you so much. How long do we have before I quit being lucid? And he's like, I don't know, five minutes. And that's less than, and it lasts less than that. And then it's very sad. And they die together holding hands. Because she remembers one last time. She remembers one last time. And while she remembers, he lays down next to her and they die holding hands because they wish it. The end. Why even watch the movie at this point? I'm you asking Star Wars every day. Talking you through it. Why would someone watch this movie? Let's discuss. I don't know, Tim. Why would they? 
Um, let's start with one of the most important parts of everything going on in the notebook. Mm-hmm. One Ryan Gosling. That's true. One, Ryan Gosling one, is a pretty strong one argument. One Gosling hanging out. And this is like proto Gosling. This is like the leap from young Hercules to like movie star Ryan Gosling. Which is true. This is what catapulted his career. Look at his face. He's got a chin that could open a can. It's so sharp and strong. And I, I get the Ryan Gosling thing in that he's kind of like quiet and mysterious, and but intense. There's an intensity underneath that quiet. There's kind of a floppiness to him. Kind of a cute puppy floppiness. The the I have like a weird conspiracy theory about this movie because of how well they captured the difference between Ryan Gosling playing a teenager versus Ryan Gosling playing an adult. Because Ryan Gosling as a teenager has like I swear he has smaller arms and smaller shoulders. He does. That I'm they like let that. his arms become less pronounced and then like they repronounce them for when he finally takes his shirt off as an adult. Yeah. And meanwhile, Rachel McAdams, like... Is the same. Just gets nicer hair. Yeah. She's pretty much the same. Yeah, because we can't love a woman I feel like pubescent. I feel like I want to watch a version of The Notebook where everything is the exact same except for she introduces herself as Rachel McAdams. <laughs> it's literally the same except her name is just Rachel McAdams. And just be like, that would just make more sense. Yeah. Overall. Apparently they hated each other. Really? They were filming this. Yeah. What? Apparently that's the tea. Is like now you have me saying that's the tea. Um, it's a great expression now that I think about it. But yeah, they apparently like hated each other and then wound up dating and then hated each other again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's so much of it is Ryan Gosling is so cute. Like, it's a Leo DiCaprio, early Leo situation. It's like A-plus casting that just works and runs for days. And it's like, why wouldn't she want him? Look at him. He is cute, and he has a cute dad, and they have a cute dad-son relationship. I think my my favorite line of the movie is, well, that's a damn picture right there. (laughs) It's so much of it is Ryan Gosling. So it's, it's not that there's a boy hanging from a Ferris wheel trying to get you to go out with him. It's I that Ryan Gosling is, is hanging boy? from a Ferris wheel trying to get you to go out with him. And I think there's something kind of alluring about the boy you implicitly chose, because here you are watching this movie, and why wouldn't you choose Ryan Gosling, who's beleaguering you with his attentions? And like, I know there's kind of a really icky thing about how we won't take no for an answer, and in 2018, that is not age well at all Mm -hmm. but the way she flirts with him is she kind of wants him to keep chasing her she's like she's not like no get out of here and like turning away and like walking away she's like walking backwards being like no oh come and get me no try again (laughs) no and he's like why don't you ever do what you want Allie and she's like what do I want and he's like you want to lie down in the road with me and she's like I do want that yeah there's a part where they finish one of their dates and he's like here come lie in the street with me you know near death experiences that's what makes true love there's so much in this that I get as fantasy wish fulfillment like I get the boy who I, I get the trope of like uh this level of devotion that is almost insane. And I get the attractiveness of that. Like, Oh, someone's so desperate to meet you that they pull a crazy stunt to impress you. Or like 
they're so hung up on you that they go crazy building a house. When was when was that done better in a movie? Like I did a crazy stunt to impress you and get you to to notice me. A crazy stunt done better in a movie? Uh I don't I don't know. I don't know that it's been done better. The crazy stunt uh, is like It's a wonderful life. Oh yeah, yeah, when they fall in the pool and then when they, they fall in the pool and they dance. They dance so hard that they fall in the pool. Yeah, but in it's a wonderful life. Oh, and then her robe falls off. I'm thinking of when they're oh. they're dancing so intently because they want to win. Um, that he keeps dancing after they fall in the pool. They both keep dancing. That's kind of different, though, because they're both kind of fighting for that thing. Rachel, yeah. He does a bunch of crazy stuff, and then Rachel McAdams does stuff after him. Yeah, see, that's the thing. There's, there's She's so not much, that crazy. I, I get the wish fulfillment of, like, the boy is so devoted, he almost goes nuts. I get the wish fulfillment of, like, oh, the rugged poor man who is bad for you on paper is actually better for you than the fancy rich man who is good for you on paper. I, well, I get all that. They didn't have the foresight in the forties that American classism would die out to the level that it has, or at least shifted. Well, yeah, but this wasn't written in the forties either. This was written Point. in like the eighties. Point taken. So the thing about it is that there's so many, again, like with twilight, there are so many themes in this that go like half finished and half explored because they just assume that you'll fill in the rest with your preconceived notions of what those things are. So like, and, and, and almost to the extent that it undermines itself. So the thesis statement of the movie is when Noah says, quit trying to impress, ev- quit trying to make everybody else happy and do what you want. But he's saying that because he thinks that he's what she wants. I disagree. Really? I don't think so. You think he'd be chill if she was like, well, what I want is to marry sexy James Marsden. No, I think it's what what he wants is for her to make the choice because before she didn't, or at least he's worried mm. she doesn't. He's operating out of his own insecurities of don't, because that's what they have the fight about. They There's this pinnacle moment in the film after they've been, you know, shacking up for four days where um, he calls her out and he's like, are you just going to leave again? Because you, ha-. she's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I'm worried about the fiance. And he's like, are you just going to leave again? Because you want the guy with money. Oh yeah. And then she's like, no, I wouldn't do that. How dare you? I hate you. And then he's like, I hate you too. And then they're like, well, what is our relationship? If we just like are, uh, having sexy for four days and then we fight. And he's like, if we fight, that's fine. If we work through it each time, mm-hmm. but I want to know that's what you want. Yeah. I want you to pick. And that's what that's what he's really asking her to do. Is he's asking her to make a choice and make a choice for the right reasons. Yeah. Because he doesn't want her to pick him if it's not what she wants. And he doesn't want her yeah. to pick the other guy if it's not what she wants either. But even just that. And like, also it's because it's wish fulfillment. It's because women want to be asked that. I think we do. But I am so bummed by this. Partly because that wish fulfillment, I think, is the result of women seeing themselves as commodities. Like if I'm if I must be a commodity, I hope I'm a hot commodity. I hope if I have to be packaged and sold, there are at least two people bidding for me. And that that's what bums me out about that. Now the other thing I was saying about half-finished <coughs> themes is that so they set up this thing of like, "Oh, don't don't try to please everybody else, just please yourself." But we don't really see her like we don't see her trying to fit in and that not paying off 
or her trying to fit in and that not being satisfying to her. And in fact, when she goes back and talks to James Marsden and she's like, clearly told him that she just cheated on him for four days. He's like, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm a human flower crown and I still love you. And I don't want to act out in jealousy because I would lose you, but I also want you to love me for me. And he's totally like fair and reasonable and also has been like really cool and nice to her this whole time. But she leaves like the cool, nice person who is in many ways emotionally stable to go be with a hobo, not hobo, hermit, who stalked her as a child and then went crazy building a house for 10 years. Like, ah! <laughs> if James, but it's, like, but it's, but that person is Ryan Gosling, Dory. And, and even like the thing of like, don't please your parents. Well, she's not really, she's from the South and chose to go to school in New York. And even when her parents are like, didn't sound like she not, chose it. He's not right for you. When her parents don't like him, he's the one that walks away to try and make it easier for her. It's not like she chose something else over him at one time and regretted it. It's like, it's so frustrating that like he keeps framing it in terms of her agency, but she in actuality has like no free will. But if you read between the lines, that's my point. What's okay. What's between the lines? That it's that Ryan Gosling isn't talking to Rachel McAdams. He's talking to you. I relate to her because she's me. I'm also a woman frustrated by the choices I have in life and wish I could have something more. I think I'm supposed to relate to her. I don't. Because I don't like her. That is a problem. I don't like the things she does. It bothers me that... It, it, it bothers me that she throws fits. I know it's supposed to be like, oh, kind of relatable and she's a teenager... It bothers me that, like, she has this... It, it really bothers me that she's built over, like, a process of a few years a relationship with James Marsden's character that is now resulting in their marriage. I think And they, she sees one photo of Gosling in front of his crazy man house. And, and she's faints. like... No, no, no. She literally faints. She faints. It's one of the best parts. It's so dumb. This movie's kind of dumb, and that's also she why I love it. a summer fling with this guy once when she was 17. Sees one picture of the house he built with the shutters she liked. And is like, sorry, everyone. He calls to me. Like... Like, if you actually do read between the lines, she has no free will. And how does she... What about the other parts where, like, they're they're talking in the rain, and you pointed this out. There's the rain scene, which is one of the most famous scenes, where she's like, why didn't you write to me? And he's like, I did write to you. And and from her perspective, it's like, why should she believe him? Yeah, like, he goes, I I wrote you 365 letters. And if it was me, I'd be like... Where are those letters, dipshit? Did you get but it? she's like, you did? Oh, let's make out and then have sex. <laughs> she literally says that. She di- Does she say, let's have sex? No. Oh, at one point she I'm did. Making when they fun were, of you. When they were kids, she was like, make love to me. And then they don't because... <laughs> she really they don't because the guy from Entourage comes in the house. Somehow he knows that house is where they're always going to be. Has Ryan Gosling tried this before? He's tried this before, right? Uh, and we're supposed to like him? Like, I don't know. Also, there's like this weird half-ass thing where he goes to war and sees his best friend die. And then that has no effect on the plot or his character. I feel like there was more of that in the book. 
There must have been. There must have been something. Let us count the ways in which this movie is prime for its audience. Okay. 40s nostalgia. Okay. Uh, which the war ties into. Gotcha. Uh, true love is like a force that, that like breaks boundaries and is powerful enough to like defy the laws of science and medicine. There is an element of fate that is again sort of half-assed. Um, sticking it to one's parents. That is in there, but it's also kind of half-assed. Uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, I will take all the Gosling I can get. I have no refutation for that. Um, there's something to the idea that if it's a true epic love story, then it, it breaks all barriers. Like there's something like, I think it comes to a head in the scene in the framing device where like all the children come to see her and they're like, the children are very important because it's this very functional family with this one tragedy getting in the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the kids don't all have problems. No one's like, Oh, you know, the mortgage, they're all doing fine. They're just worried about their dad. They're just worried about their dad and their, and their mom. dying mom. And it's it's there's a simpleness to it which isn't wrong, but it it gratifies this expectation that a love that and it, it tries to make it a little different from like true wub mm-hmm. by being like, oh, they worked for their relationship because they love each other. Um but there's a huge element of like That's, epic true love yeah. that transcends. Yeah, they there is like like that thesis statement where he's like, We're gonna fight, but we're gonna work through it and being with me won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. But also but, but, but that, also their love is so true that they have like a perfect family yeah, and But they also they like came they defy met up again dementia after ten years and we're like, let's throw away every other thing we've built in our twenties to be together. So it's what a strange It's riding two horses. And I don't know if those horses are going the same way. But I get, I get why. I get it. Like, I get it. Like, you can't help but, like, get it. Like, you watch and you're like, no, I see why women love this. It's like, because there is something really comforting about kind of that old-fashioned, even though it's not old-fashioned at all, not really, um, it's cosmetically old-fashioned monogamous love that is true and safe. It's, there's something really comforting and reassuring about a love story that you know will last until you die from pretty much as early as it could start. Yeah, they're like 17 when they get together, which is a weird thing that crops up a lot in YA that actually Ginny, our guest from last time, and I have talked about that like a lot of YA fiction, the fantasy of the love whoever story. You, whoever you like when you're 17 is who you're going to you marry. Like when you're 17. Even Harry Potter, they all end up with their high school sweethearts. Including, like, his parents, Harry himself, Ron and Hermione. Like, everybody ends up with their high school sweetheart. And I don't know what that is. I think it's because when you're a kid, you really want to be ready for the mature relationship and the the long haul and forever. And you're just not. You're just not. Weren't your parents high school sweethearts? They were, but they got married when they were 21. So they had it figured out. They, they, they knew. They did, They knew. Sometimes. They were also children. Their parents were depression babies who are like sort of pragmatic and not very romantic. And so I think my parents and my mother listens to this, so I hope she'll correct me. I think my parents and my grandparents had like an element of uh, 
you know, if the, if the train runs, keep it going. Like, yeah. And not so much like, oh, it's the person you're fated to be with. It's more like you work well with that person, hitch it up. You know, like it's, it's a more practical thing. And I think if I had seen this as a kid, I think I actually would have liked it. And I think I actually would have connected with it. It was partly spoiled for me because everybody else loved it. So obviously I needed to hate it, but also because I have gotten to a point in my life where the idea of true love and fate and forces greater than ourselves and dangerous people and dangerous people and risky situations does not appeal to me anymore. But as a fantasy, it works. If it's just a fantasy, oh, he chooses you. There's something about these romantic comedies where there's always two guys. The Meg Ryan movies always have two guys. Oh, yeah. And and this even had that Meg, that Frank Nebraska thing that we talked about one time. I think that what women like is this idea of being valued. Whereas men tend to, overall, be more drawn to valuing others. And there is, not that men don't want to be valued, but I think that the fantasy I, I for men... I think they want to be valued in a different way. I think men want to feel... Active. They want to feel like they're they, doing. They want to cool be stuff. useful, be a hero. Yeah, they yeah. want they want people to watch them do things. Whereas I think women want to, generally, based on rom coms, they tend to really like being the object of affection. Yeah. Um. They want they want to be suited. They want it. They, cause, and it's not that they want people to do things to them. They want people to choose them. That's you want yeah. the guy to want you, and that's one reason why the James Marsden is in there because it's also not you want the guy that to want you. You want the guy that you want to want you to want you. Yes. Yeah. So that's why there has to be another guy, even though he's also gorgeous. He's not the one. I know, and I I. I think this doesn't connect with me because I hate the idea of the one, but also because I I understand that wish fulfillment of wanting to be like sought after by two people, but truly loved by one. And this movie is incredibly good at that. And this movie is, is totally that. I think it would have worked better if it had been framed from Allie's perspective as a choice between a life that was satisfying and easy that was that were well, not satisfying but that was easy and looked good but was unsatisfying and a life that was more difficult and messy but ultimately more satisfying and that's part of the problem is it doesn't age as well in a realism world where you kind of it only kind of works as a fantasy because there is no moment where you get to see what they worked through you just yeah. have the implication they will work through it, and then you get to cut ahead to when there are, there's you know magical realism dementia experience, where they've already worked through that and have a loving perfect family and a sufficient income to stay in a breast home. It's a little smart that we see the end from the beginning so that they can we can be like, oh, it's gonna oh, okay, work out. Okay, it is gonna work out, but it's also kind of lazy. And also, I'm just gonna go back and say again, I I relate to the fantasy. Um, but I, I, I have grown to hate that fantasy because for me it represents this idea that as a woman you are a commodity. Where stories, stories about love for men are about being a useful provider and protector and an active participant and well, a worthy partner. Stories for men and are stories... usually about feeling guilty because <laughs> they feel gross because of what they want. <laughs> that's true but i stick with me on this i think for men it's it's about being a worthy partner and earning your place in a relationship which is unhealthy in other ways 
And for women, it's about being the best girl, being the hottest commodity. And even if you're the hottest commodity, you're still a commodity. Even Allie, who is sold to us as like fiery and spirited and tempestuous, is not... Total Aries. uh, Yeah, ultimately has no free will because she's either doing what her parents tell her or what Noah tells her. And maybe Noah is the voice of her desire, and that's fine, I guess. But it really that that whole that the wish that this is fulfilling is like I think the product of something bad. Yeah, I think then the key is you have to watch the Notebook with just like one eye in the back of your head looking at it and being like, you know, it's not real. Yeah, want what you want, but just know on some level like you don't get to fast forward in real life, and I think people know that. Yeah. But I think they sometimes forget it a little too easily. Well, especially if you're like a kid and yeah. you really, really want the world to be that way. It's really reassuring. And that's part of why the old fashioned, there's little elements of this that are just a little uncomfortable. Like the fact you never see any problems in their lives. And the fact they're black. all rich and they have like a perfect family. The fact that everyone in this movie is white and all the black characters all are either non-speaking or, or beleaguered servants. Or caretakers. Yeah. In, in the future... All the caregivers in the future, all of the caregivers in the nursing home are black. And then the only other black characters in the forties are of course servants because history, but it's still really uncomfortable. And there's even like black characters in the background, but none of them speak all they, I know we weren't going to talk about this, but all you had to do, all you had to do was have one of the kids marry a black guy, right? Just one show up at the nursing home. This is my husband, Daryl. I don't know why his name's Daryl. He's wearing a nice purple polo shirt. It's He's fine. He's got a purple polo shirt. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. He's fine. He's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I also feel bad for the nursing home staff that has to like break the news to the to their children that their parents died on the same night. I I feel bad for that nurse that has to be like like the doctor that has to be like oh, oh the autopsy results came back it turns out your parents died of magical realism. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Calhoun. Sorry, Mr. Calhoun, your parents died of magical realism. Lucky uh, for you. Lucky for you. A flock of Canada geese was here to take their spirits to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you t- you tweeted out something where you were like, is this going to be a good ending or a crappy ending? And I'm like, oh, little do you know. Because the funny thing... I to was, m- well, I said, is this tragic or shitty? <laughs> well, the funny thing to me is they're dead so they die right but the, right. They, they die of course like happy movie deaths where everything's fine yeah you know from history uh-huh. that after you die a lot of things still happen uh, up to and including yeah. a lot of your bodily functions yeah. so underneath those two lovingly embraced uh couples there's probably some piles of feces and urine <laughs> staining the back of his robe and her sheets respectively oh. <laughs> So in a way, it was a crappy ending when you think about it. Some <laughs> some true. poor some poor undertaker is gonna have to pry those hands apart, so, so, or just put them in an extra large, an extra wide casket together. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes! What if their fingers like break as the undertaker is like pulling them apart? Oh. I would just bury them together at that point. Just same in casket. like a piano box. You might as well. Yeah. You might as well. Yeah. They're stuck that it's way. Fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So she, she when, she, when right before they die, she's lucid and she says, do you think our love could create a miracle? And he goes, 
you know, I think it could. And, and it's like the miracle is assisted suicide. The miracle is suicide by wish. <laughs> but but like he catches her drift and knows exactly what she's talking about. But now I'm kind of wondering if the miracle is that they don't poop their pants after they die. <laughs> I'm wondering if like maybe they both took like something before that, and that's why he knew what she was talking about. And the the miracle their love created was that they they didn't poop. And you know they had to poop because they ate dinner the they night ate before. Dinner and wine. That's I love a- I love how we ended talking in the notebook about poop. About poop. We somehow find a way to make it about poop. We always do. Uh, <laughs> all right, I think we got to sew this up. Um, Tim, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, no. I'm just glad the notebook exists. We should come back to do more rom coms, don't you think? We do. We should do more rom coms. This was fun. Um, happy Valentine's Day, everybody! Happy Valentine's in a few days. When you hear this, it'll be a few days away. Uh, sit down, have a listen to this with your sweetheart, and if they survive the poop talk, you'll know they're worth it. <laughs> uh, you can. I have a few things. Uh, you can see me at laughing with laughing stock at 10 p.m. on on Friday the 23rd. I will be playing with Laughing Stock at 10 p.m. at the Off-Broadway Theater here in Salt Lake City. You can look it up on the interwebs um, and on the Facebooks. Also, I'm going to be in one of their shows. It's called The Little Mimaid, and it runs from March 9th until April 14th or something. You're so, a crab woman? Every weekend, you can come see me be a dancing crab. Um, because that's who I am, really. And, um, yeah, that, that's about it for me. Anything else, Tim? Nope. Okay, well, you can follow us. Let's jump out a window. Let's jump out a window together and have Canada geese take our spirits to heaven. Uh, So you can follow us on Twitter at JDRC Podcast. You can go to our website, jdrefreshmentcommittee.com. You can even email us at jdrclove at gmail.com. And just look us up on Facebook. We're the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. You can follow me on Twitter at Dory E. Peacock. You can follow Tim at Cyber Mormon. And these, my lovely darlings, are our sign-offs. Oh, flock of Canadian geese flies to heaven. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and remember, we won't judge you, but we will bring the jello salad to your trial.